0: You're listening to Area 1-1 music from Les Adventures de Tintin, Les Temples de Soule, released in 1997, composed by Alberto José González. What's up, BG Maniacs? Welcome to another special episode of BG Mania, a video game music podcast. I, of course, am your host, Brian, and joining me on the show this week, he is the host of The Movie Bar. Every month with the dyad, it is Bedroth.
1: Hey, hey, and uh, The Movie Bar actually just released a couple of days ago, our our sixth episode about um, "And Justice for All, starring Al Pacino. So, if you haven't yet, go check that episode out. We could use a, a few more listens, but... Uh, but we're not talking about legal films tonight, Harvey no, Brian. But you no. know what? We'll get into that after you do your little spiel. So I yeah. let you go.
0: We've got <laughs> a very, very special episode lined up for our two hundred and fiftieth episode. Woo! We did it. Made it to two fifty. Not really freaking hard to believe. Yeah. So we're <laughs> getting close, right? That's, you know, I've actually already passed it technically, but still. Real quick if you'd be so kind. Head on over to Apple Podcasts or whichever app you've chosen to listen to us on and drop us a quick rating and review. Relate us about invisibility so that this show continues to grow. And remember, we are on Patreon now as well. Patreon.com forward slash RPG era. Check out our tiers. See what we're doing. If you feel inclined, toss us a couple bucks each month. If not, continuing to listen to the episodes as they upload each week. Works wonders as well. And of course, special shout out to current executive producers, Jexax and Zanku. So yeah, Bedroth, two, five, zero. And I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do for this episode. I had no idea.
1: No What's clue. It's a big episode, man. We're it quarter is. Of way, quarter of a way to a thousand.
0: Yeah. Quarter of <laughs> the way to a thousand. Half of, half of the way to uh, the, the live episode from a Kirby cafe in Japan. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> already rethinking my decision to commit to that but that's cool <laughs> <got some> time. <laughs> it's okay it's okay and i didn't know what i wanted to do and you and i sat down and we we started talking like really what could we do for 250 and then you had an idea
1: i had an idea but you were really kind of the uh, the driving force behind me actually going for this um uh, after we did the Yuzo Kosher episode A couple months ago we uh, I got to talking to Alberto Gonzalez Online because as we mentioned During the Yuzo Kosher episode He and Gonzalez talk back and forth On Twitter pretty frequently And that's cool to see And I talked about how uh, open Gonzalez always is To talking to fans And he'll, he'll go online onto interviews and, and comment and reply to people's comments And stuff and he's just a really cool guy And you said well maybe when we do Our, our showcase he'll He'll give us an interview like Koshiro did, and I figured I'd go ahead and give it a shot and see what he thought of it. And he responded very quickly in the affirmative that he'd be he'd be happy to do something like that under the right conditions. And it just happened to coincide with this episode. So yeah, that's how it went down. Yeah. So for our 250th episode of BG Mania, again, this is going to be special
0: because. It is a composer appreciation episode. We have back-to-back composer appreciation episodes because this isn't technically like a scheduled composer appreciation. We're just doing this for our 250th special episode. Yeah. But. Actually kind of similar to what happened with Koshiro. I was a back-to-back with Hiroki Kakuda yeah, as well. Yeah, and a, and a special one as well that wasn't actually planned. <laughs> <laughs> but this is probably, even including, because there were a few episodes that I did with composers on the show with me, right? Back before you joined the show. Yeah, Even including yeah. those episodes, this is probably the lengthiest
1: interview we've actually done to date so far. Yeah, it was so crazy. Now, um, I will say uh, there are a few interviews out there uh, with Gonzalez. If you just Google to José González composer interview, you'll find, uh, I don't know, I think four or five uh, that I pulled from. And what's cool is that some of them overlap. A couple of them talk about different things. And on ours, we tried to kind of approach it from a perspective that nobody really had before yet. Uh, and I think Gonzalez, we succeeded.
0: I don't think we asked anything that I've that I seen asked prior.
1: I think the only one I've seen asked prior is the one which is kind of a standard when we're talking to composers, which is, do you have any advice, you know, for sure? Sure, for, sure, sure. Yeah, future. But other than that, yeah, it was pretty much um, pretty much all fresh information which means after this you can go out and explore the world of the other interviews uh, one in particular is the interview on the legacy music hour blog for that went along with the episode they did about Gonzalez. Uh that interview was really cool they 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 also went really kind of niche with their their questions Gonzalez, pretty famously um, uh, he's a Spanish composer he's he's from Spain and his English is is good when he's writing he's not confident in it when he is speaking and as far as i know there is no recorded nothing recorded with alberto gonzalez speaking english so and we tried <laughs> we yeah we did offer we did offer yeah. and um but we made it clear no pressure just correct if, you, if you're okay with doing it you know uh, then give it a shot but but he did agree to um an interview uh, a written interview And he went on so much longer, and he went into much more detail than I expected. It's really, really cool what we were able to get from him.
0: That's not all we got from him either. I was going to say, not only (laughs) did we get answers to the questions that we asked, we got comments about every track that we're going to play on the show today. And to close out the show, before we get to our our last discussion
1: and the closeout piece, we actually have a block that he submitted on his own. Yep, that's right. We offered him some, some real estate on the episode, and... Really excited to get to those tracks and to his comments, because I have not listened to those tracks yet, and some of the comments are really cool, but that's also not all that we got.
0: We got the best freaking versions of these pieces of music that you can find.
1: Yeah. Straight from the source, man.
0: (laughs) Straight from him, his own raw recordings that he either already had or that he just ripped for us from his actual like, you know, instruments or consoles.
1: He actually has a repurposed Game Boy that he um, that he sort of what's the uh, he homebrewed it uh, back in the early, early 90s. And he put on it a music making program that he developed for the ZX Spectrum. And, and Alberto, if I'm getting this in any way twisted, please do correct us online <laughs> on Twitter. But he actually <laughs> used that using Spectrum technology. He used that to compose for all of the 8-bit music that he ever did on Spectrum, the Game Boy, the NES, the Game Boy Color, the, um, the, the Master System, and Game Gear. And even on the GBA, uh, he would compose using this software and then he would actually transpose things over to whatever system they, they ended up on. But yeah, he went back to his original hardware that he used when he was making Game Boy music. And he re-ripped. I know that he for a fact that he re-ripped a couple of these because when we sent him the versions that we had listened to, he's like, eh, I don't really like that. I'm going to redo it, <laughs> 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 which is just, oh, man just blows me away. Yeah. This was more
0: than we ever expected and like I said earlier, longer than we ever expected. You and I spent the better part of over a month, really, going back and forth through email with him as he traveled about the world and we sat and did nothing in our homes <laughs> like like lazy people do. And <laughs> Um, this is just, this is just such a cool episode, man, and a very fitting
1: episode for 250,
0: especially now that you're on the show, since he is
1: one of your masters of EGM. Absolutely. He is one of my favorite composers ever. He is my favorite Game Boy composer. Uh, just uh, no one else comes close to him, in my opinion, on the Game Boy. And he is just, uh, plus, uh, and I told him this in one of the emails, th- the fact that he is such a generous soul, that he's always so open to, to his fans, and just seems like such a genuinely nice, pleasant guy, and he's so humble, all of that just makes me like him more, so. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, man. Yeah, man. Um, well, We've got a pretty lengthy interview, and you know I'm going to be talking, uh, at least some, on this episode, so. What do you say? Want to go ahead and get into it? Well, you got to talk about that first track that you opened us up with.
0: Yeah. So the opening track and the way we laid this episode out is I only submitted a couple tracks myself, right? Like I only submitted four for this episode, uh, giving up my other three to Alberto to submit his own. And then you took the standard seven because you had a lot more that you really wanted to highlight and showcase.
1: So. And thank you. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, of course, of course. I did, I did offer to split the uh, the remaining yeah, 11 no, with you. Totally fine. So. Totally <laughs> fine. I don't mind. Um So we laid it out
0: with my four tracks kind of opening the show, right? So I had the opener and then the next block is my last three. And then we're going to go to year six and then we're going to go to his three and then your closeout track. So that's kind of how we laid this episode out. But the opening right. track that we kicked off with was the Area 1-1 music from Les Aventures de Tintin, Les Temples de Soleil, um, which is, translates I, to... I think it
1: was translated as Prisoners of the Sun. Prisoners of the right? Sun,
0: yes, according to the actual file that he sent us, uh, translates to Prisoners of the Sun, and this is just, I thought, a really fun way to kick off the show with the instrumentation and kind of the upbeat bounciness that it has and the the jazziness going on i thought it made would would
1: make for a good opener yeah i think it's a really good example of of what he can do and you'll hear just a wide variety of what he's capable of as you listen to this episode it's really it's definitely rooted in the european video game music sort of approach uh you'll hear with a lot of like the, the chirps and the arpeggios and just the way that he makes the instrument work. But he, I think by this time, he had really grown into his own sound. And a lot of his stuff on the Game Boy Color is really when he had fully come into his own as a composer and it was making some really, really sophisticated stuff. And I'm actually looking.
0: Did he actually submit a comment for this particular track? I don't, I don't think he did. I don't see it. He didn't. I had originally
1: had one from... 1010. You had 4 1 initially when we I, first. I had 4 dash 1. Yeah, when well we did sent have him a like an initial about list. That one. Um, I, and I, had, I actually bumped that one for one of my picks. Uh, the second, maybe the second one? The third one? Uh, anyway, I'll talk about it when we get there. But I, I bumped that one for one of my picks because I noticed that you already had a 1010 track, and I really wanted to showcase something a little bit more recent. And so I did. Um, I forget what he said about 4 1 from 1010, 10, but. Uh, He did mention that 1010 is was one of his favorite uh, characters growing up. He actually has a full run of both 1010 and Asterix comics, which I thought was really cool that he was a big fan of a lot of these properties that he was able to to compose for.
0: And that's also another good reason or example as to why we I'm trying to see if I could find his comment. But yeah, um, as, as to, to. <laughs> kind of like what we actually opened up the show with, because this is one of his favorites. There he goes. He says,
1: uh, oh, he just this is the one where he talked about being recorded from bad emulation. Oh, yeah. And about how YouTube YouTube is plagued with these uh, this bad emulation. And um, that I think I actually moved that comment to one of these other ones. Uh... You may have. <laughs> you may have. Yeah, you did for the Sylvester and Tweety one. Yep, I did. Okay, YouTube is plagued with uh, bad recordings that have the third channel volume halved and very inaccurate noise emulation. Uh, Finding these videos was the main reason that he started sharing his own soundtracks on SoundCloud until he ran out of space. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, which is actually kind of. Kind of fun, so. And uh, unless I am much mistaken, you will have links to Alberto SoundCloud and his Bandcamp, right? To uh, on absolutely. show notes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: They'll be in the they'll be in the show notes as links, probably under his name or something like that that you can just click on.
1: Yep. He is starting to flesh out his Bandcamp as well. In fact, one of our tracks is coming from from Bandcamp. So, but yeah, re- really cool stuff. Uh, real quick before we get into your block of tracks, I had a, a few notes here just. About Gonzalez himself. Um, okay. Later on down the line, and we can get into some, some of his favorite uh, favorite things um, that I kind of gleaned over other interviews. But uh, so Gonzalez was born in Barcelona, Spain. His father was in the military, and so they moved around a lot during his first ten years to different Spanish cities. Uh, so he kind of he changed schools frequently, sometimes even within the same town. Um, one of the places where he went was a place called Melia in uh, it's a Spanish town in North Africa uh, he said it was a really cool place um, he uh, it was a sort of fortified village with a castle and everything the hill had a beautiful view of the harbor and the sea so this real sense of adventure that I think you know um, probably he resonated with in like Asterix and Tintin and Spiro and Lucky Luke and some of the other things we're going to be talking about uh, but he said uh, N- North Africa came up because while they were in Malia he actually played the flute at school and that was his first exposure to any kind of music and he would just run around on the flute and and play around on it trying to come up with his own melodies and he his parents always used to make him stop when he was at the house and so he always used to run out and find higher ground so he could play without bothering anybody else and then they moved back to barcelona and they lived on flat land so he had to stop playing the flute and he didn't pick it back up again until much later after he got some of these home computers Um, He was really into drawing until he was 11 years old and he got his first computer, which was a Casio PB700. This was a battery powered computer. (laughs) He said it wasn't very powerful, (laughs) but he was able to bring it everywhere with with him. And that's when he started getting into like the assets and getting into coding when he was 11. And then at the age of 16, uh, he was working for a clothing store as kind of. Uh, like a, a delivery boy, or he, um, he like delivered leaflets and ads and stuff like that to different, to nearby apartments. And when he came up to one, he noticed the sign outside the door said New Frontier, which was a name he recognized from his Spectrum. He, um, he used to be a big gamer when he was a kid, and while he was composing, he played things like the Specky, the, um, the, the, the Atari. Uh, the the NES after it came out. But he recognized New Frontier's name from the Spectrum, so he knocked on the door, asked if they needed a graphic designer, because by this time his art and coding had kind of come together and he had been copying sprites from other games and things like that. Well, they looked at his work and they hired him. So he started at New Frontier in 1988. Uh, It was a relatively small company, but while he was with them, they started developing games for Infogrames, a big uh, French publisher that had acquired a lot of licenses to things like Asterix and the Smurfs and things like that. Uh, This is when he made his, um, well, actually the first music that he made were adaptations of the soundtracks from other games, games like Altered Beast and things like that for the MSX. He actually adapted them from other PCs, from Japanese PCs to the MSX. But after that, it was all Spectrum all the time until the Game Boy came out. So he worked on the Spectrum with New Frontier and Infogrames. Uh, they made games like Hostages, North and South, Light Corridor, Mystical. Uh, Light Corridor is going to come up a little bit later in the show. And he was with them for a while. It was while he was there that he met Ricardo Fernandez, who became kind of a lifelong friend. Uh, it was also a New Frontier that he came up with the nickname Joe McCalvey. He said Alberto Gonzalez is a name that was so common in Spanish that he wanted to find a better alternative. And at the time there were a lot of famous Mick names or M C names. Uh, he lists M C Hammer, McDonald's. I was gonna say Paul MC McCartney, Hammer, Marty McFly, yeah. <laughs> and then he adapted Albi from his first name, so McAlbi. And then he adapted Joe from his second name, Jose, so Joe McAlbie And then he he says for him the M C stands for music creator, so there's the origin of the, the Joe McCalby name that you may find sometimes. Well, anyway, after a while, um, Alberto and Ricardo were no longer satisfied with, um, with their work at new frontier. They were really young, really motivated, um, and getting to experience a lot of things, but they weren't making any money because the new frontier bosses were making all sorts of like excuses about why, you know, why they couldn't pay them. So, They wanted to make games. There was no other game company in Barcelona, so the two of them, um, along with a couple of other people, left and founded Bit Managers in 1993. Uh, They built on their existing relationship with Infogrames and continued to make more games. It was while he was with Bit Managers that he composed pretty much all of his music for the Game Boy and the Game Boy Color that is well known today. Um, Metal Masters, which is the game I played, my Masters of BGM song from Metal Beat, was actually one of the first games that he made with Bit Managers. And because of the way that small companies work, where lots of people wear lots of hats, that's how he sort of got into more of like, he kind of got shoehorned into music at Bit Managers. At uh, New Frontier, he had actually done different things. He'd done coding, he'd done graphic design, he'd done composition, But Bit Managers, it was pretty much all soundtracks. So after about 10 years of that, it had gotten a bit repetitive. And so he decided to move on and do some other things. So once again, he and Ricardo founded a new company, Abbey Light, with a couple of other people. Abbey Light is where he is still to this day. Uh, This was in, I forgot to write down a year, but I believe it was in 2004. Uh, The game specializes in games for mobile phones. Uh, They do also do some other things. But... um, He says that uh, those games don't have much music, so he kind of had to repurpose himself as a game programmer and designer, and so he's done most of the work himself since then. Um, He does more for each project. It's a small company. Again, they all wear a lot of hats. Um, Now he is still in charge of sound management, programming, and sound effect design, and if it doesn't interfere with the rest of his duty in the game, he also composes music. So... That's where. That's what he's doing now.
0: I like it. I told you when we started. I'm gonna let you take the driver's seat for this episode. <laughs> you're not gonna hear me say much. It's gonna be bedrock for the most part. <laughs> for for our professional wrestling fans out there, on this episode, you're the play-by-play analyst. I'm the color commentator.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, that was my that was my wall of text as uh, as Joe McAlby comes down and enters the ring. so you played his intro music and uh i i I introduced him now let's uh why don't we go ahead and get into your first block man or your i guess your your block yeah my only block on the episode today yeah
0: (laughs) and uh I've, i've got some fun ones here and I probably some of my favorite of his work that I that I went with two of these are. And then one I kind of chose because I had not heard about it or even known about it until we did this interview. <laughs> with him. So let's go ahead and kick things off with Scroll Stage from Turok 2 Seeds of Evil. This released on December 3rd, 1998. And of course, it was composed as everything on the episode is today by Alberto Jose Gonzalez. back. up, let's go ahead and take a listen to Act 3 and 10, The Swamps and Gargamel Manor House from The Smurfs, released in 1994, composed by Alberto Jose Gonzalez. up in this block, we'll take a listen to Painful Gulch from Lucky Luke. This released on July 9th, 1999, and it was composed by Alberto Jose Gonzalez. In. We are first talking about Scroll Stage from Turok 2, Seeds of Evil. So, man, yeah, starting dude. out strong, dude. <laughs> like I said, I don't know if I said this before we went to break and listen to these tracks or if I just said it to you. Um, I really went with like some of my favorite works that I've discovered of Alberto Jose Gonzalez's, right? Like these are definitely at least the first two, some of his most well-known pieces of compositions that that out that are out there and they all are just so fun like very upbeat very easy to vibe with and just sit here and kind of like bounce your head back and forth to as you and i both said we were doing while listening to all three of these <laughs> i freaking love yep. this track and truth be told i love Turok. i always have i didn't play the game boy version i did play the n64 versions of Turok. um It would be nice to see an actual, like, resurgence of that IP.
1: I only really got into the first one. Um, I was just... uh, I think, if I remember correctly, Turok Dinosaur Hunter came out before Goldeneye, right? Yeah, it did. Okay. Uh, This was the first time I'd seen anything like this on a home console because I never had a PlayStation. So the the first person, um, you know, going through the jungle, shooting your arrow and seeing blood actually, like, spurt out of necks on a Nintendo console... Was amazing. It's just crazy. Yeah. The, the fact that they they actually took advantage of the fact that the N64's Horizon didn't go so far before it got lost in the fog, and they used that fog as part of the atmosphere was freaking brilliant. Super, super cool game. I didn't know that Turok is actually an old IP. Like, it's from a comic series that started out in the 50s. Did you know that? I want to say
0: yes, I think Frank actually told me that at one point, because Frank is a massive oh, fan okay. of these Turok games. I want to say that I did, but I had
1: forgotten. Well, that explains why I don't remember because I never listen to Frank. So Yeah, nobody does. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, buddy. I know you're still out there listening to. <laughs> He's still out
0: there. He still <laughs> listens when we put these shows up. He's still out there. But yeah, man, this is just, oh my God, it's so fun and so good. It's just impressive. That's all I can say.
1: Yeah. And as you said, Alberto did send over uh, his own comments about most of the tracks that we ended up playing. His only comment for this one, a classic track. <laughs> and It really is, man. Exclamation mark. A classic it's track. It's
0: an absolute classic. Probably the, the most well-known track from from what he composed for the Game Boy version of Turok 2, in, in my opinion, at least. Like, it's just so freaking good.
1: Probably so. I'm really glad also that we got a full um, a full batch of Game Boy tunes in this block, because after I said that he's my favorite composer on the Game Boy, I really tried to do, like, a diversity of different platforms in my blocks so that people can hear what he did on different on different systems. So um, I'm glad we're getting getting some good Game Boy here. Well, the Smurfs uh, I is from NES, also clarify. Actually. Oh, was this the, the NES Smurfs? Okay. It was. It was the NES Smurfs, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, I, I stand corrected. Uh, I want to clarify what we said in the intro. Um because I found a note where he told us what he had done when he sent us all these tracks. Uh, He said, I've recorded all the Game Boy tracks directly from my old Game Boy, the same I used for composing them, and I also used the same binaries I coded for the music. This is not a thing I do often. I'm afraid I don't own a Game Gear, SNES, or NES to record my tracks from them, however they sound as they should. So."
0: (laughs) Which, you and I were talking before we hit record for this episode. That's another really cool freaking thing about this show, dude. And this particular episode, in, 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 in specifically, it's so special. Like, like he doesn't do this often, <laughs> and we got him straight from the source.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, to have the composer himself. Which, well, let's face it, the composers are, are the only reason that the video game podcast scene exists. Without Correct, them, we yeah. wouldn't have the music, of course. So this is like one of our rock stars sending us original demos of his like number one hits. Like it's, it's just insane. (laughs) And and Alberto, if you're, I hope that you're blushing because, (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, I just, we we mean it so much. Thank you so much for all of this. Yeah. It's just so freaking cool, man.
0: (laughs) Just like I said, a lot of this has left me speechless with, with what we were able to get and what we were able to do. So, Um, Really freaking cool, man. Really cool. But speaking of that NES Smurfs track you mentioned. Yeah. This track is by far one of my favorites that he's ever composed. I love, and you mentioned it too when we were listening to it, all of the like intricate layers that exist in this track and how it just does so many different things. And it even, because this is the... Act 3 and 10 music The Swamps and Gargamel Manor House I like that it even Kinda has the spooky undertones Right? That you would expect to Find in a swamp Or like a a spooky mansion Or mystic manor house or You know what I mean? Like it it has a lot of those Undertones Which actually as I look a little ahead In the calendar this is a good tease Of an episode we have lined up for later In October Yeah, (laughs) Didn't realize that
1: till now (laughs) But yeah, man, this is a a great track. I I used the term fugue when we were listening to it, which was, uh, um, it was a method, I believe it was originated by Bach. If not originated, it was perfected by Bach, where you have, you know, a a set number of different musical ideas, and you sort of use them and layer them over each other, and this this is a really sophisticated composition especially when you're talking about an instrument that only has four different channels uh, of of sound typically yeah and um, he actually talked about in one of his interviews that he really liked composing for the, the NES. He said that the NES really has something special. Uh, the Triangle Wave Channel was a really good source for percussive sounds and boomy basses. He said he wasn't very usable for other kind of sounds, but he really enjoyed using it. He talked about how uh, Tim Fallon's soundtrack on Solstice was a big inspiration for him and his work on the NES. Um, he can't talk enough about Tim Fallon like every interview that I saw uh, Tim Fallon was uh, a major (laughs) influence on his work and you could definitely hear it on these opening tracks
0: oh 100% yeah absolutely and the Solstice soundtrack is incredible I mean we all know that so um that doesn't take anything away from this, because this is absolutely incredible, too.
1: This one and the next one um, also both remind me of the work of Ben Daglish uh, that, that Lee uh, Tyrell brought to my episode last season. Yeah. And uh, Daglish is also one of the influences that uh, Gonzalez mentions. So um, about the Smurfs track, he said, this is probably one of my well most, bleh. he said it better than I can. This is probably one of my most well-known tracks and a source of endless collaboration videos on YouTube. It's really amazing. The first time i saw a collab with this track was 11 years ago and they're still being done the last one from two weeks ago and he said that just makes his day i was gonna say yeah
0: (laughs) that has to be such a cool feeling right like just seeing not only people appreciate your work but do things with your work as well. Like, as someone that is as passionate as he, as he is with this stuff, like, that's got to be such a heartwarming
1: feeling. He said he especially enjoys listening to remixes played with live instruments. Um, he said he still can't play any instruments. To him, his instruments are the sound drivers that he uses to make music. And so, like, when he hears people playing his music with live instruments, it really just takes them to a whole new level for him.
0: Now, did you play this game, just out of curiosity, on the NES
1: uh, maybe it might have been one of my renter games um, it's it's interesting and I think I might have told him this at one point on Twitter uh, maybe not but Alberto Gonzalez is maybe my favorite composer who I have played the least games from <laughs> <laughs> Like, th- I don't know that I have if I've played any games that Gonzalez composed for I had no idea um, like ever th- that I'd done it I don't remember any of them specifically looking at his list
0: you know, it's amazing as you say that and about this particular episode in general, I have personally only played outside of, you know, I played the N64 version of Turok and Turok 2, which he did not compose for. The only mm-hmm. game on this list that I've played is the SNES version of Asterix and Obelix.
1: That one I have actually played, too. I yeah. do remember that one. This
0: That's the only game on the show today that I have experience with, which is pretty freaking
1: crazy. It was a pretty fun game, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was absolutely a, uh, a fun game. And we're not playing anything from it, but I also played the NES Asterisk game. Um, Asterix game, sorry. <laughs> um, I, I liked the Smurfs, like I, I kind of knew who they were, but uh, of the properties that Gonzalez is composed for, my favorite when I was a kid was probably Asterix. I always, when we would go to the video store... Um, more often than not, I would get one of like the three or four Asterix movies that they had there. Okay. My favorite one was the, um, the Trials of Asterix when he goes through and does like modified versions of Hercules' Trials. Yeah. Uh, so that the Romans won't take over his homeland. <laughs> and uh, that's still, I actually found that movie recently and I've got it in my watch later on YouTube. After I started putting this this together, I was like, I wonder if I can find that movie. And I did. I'm going to go watch it again. (laughs) I've never seen it.
0: I actually don't think I've seen any of the Asterix, like film adaptations or cartoon adaptations or whatever they were. Like, I don't think I've seen any of those. I I was a big fan of the Smurfs when I was a kid. I do know that as
1: most people our age were. My wife's a big fan of the live action Smurfs movie. (laughs) I have not seen that. Is that any good? She likes the cartoon uh, growing up. It's okay. You got to go into with tempered expectations. It's a kid's movie um, and it's super cheesy, but it's, it's it's cute it's cute I'm not sure I would enjoy it as much if I didn't watch it with my kids but but it's not bad wait you guys d- didn't do a media files on that did you no okay okay I don't no. think Kyle nah, did nah this was this was before yeah. media files but but we're getting off in Ramble territory man we yeah don't have we time do for that them on this one well, I know <laughs> It's is, already gonna, be a, gonna be a lengthy one especially <laughs> when we get to
0: that interview because it's gonna take us a while to get through it so let's go ahead and talk about my third track which Is actually not the track that I thought we were going to be playing for this particular piece of or or this particular
1: game from Lucky Luke. We are actually talking about. One of the other cool things that Gonzalez did is after you sent him the first list of tracks, he wrote us back like we weren't expecting. But like you said, he wrote us back with comments on each one. Some of those comments were, oh, I don't really like this track, or oh, I didn't really like this game. Like, I had a track from Inspector Gadget Racing, of all things, which, to to be honest, was... Was just a generic kind of okay. Hey, this sounds like kart racing track, you know? Right. Um, and he said, "Oh, of all the games I made for the GBA, Inspector Gadget Racing is probably my the one I hate the most." And so I was like, "Oh, well, I'm going to slot that out." <laughs> 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 and this is uh, this is the only one I think of yours that he was like, "You know, this is this is good, but there's one other over here that I thought was better." Why don't you tell the story about that?
0: Yeah. So to get to it. I had initially submitted. The menu music from Lucky Luke on the Game Boy. And we found out, and as you'll read in the comment here shortly, that what is currently called menu music in this game is not what he intended to be. The menu music for Lucky Luke. So what we're actually listening to here is the music that he intended to be the menu music, which is called Painful Gulch, which I'm assuming, again, never played the game. Didn't even know about this property until we did this interview with him because it really wasn't that popular over here in the States. Um i after listening to this when he sent it really really preferred this version like if this would have been the menu music i could hear it and i could see it but i think this is just a much better track as well
1: yeah i agree and, then, and i mean they're both good the 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 final version menu music the one that's called menu music if you go and look up a soundtrack is still a good track um it, it is a little bit shorter than uh than painful gulch and the other stage themes which he actually says that um the the programmers switched the tracks probably because the one that they put in the menu was too short to be in a full stage um but this one painful gulch he said he actually included it just for a curiosity like just so we could hear it but he said he thought it was a better track and you ended up agreeing with him and so listeners you get to hear painful gulch if you want to hear the menu theme you can can go check it out but I agree. This was a really nice track. Really nice coming off of the uh, the Swamps track from the Smurfs as well. They've got a similar vibe, I think. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And and what you just said basically was his comments, right? Like th- those were the comments yeah. he submitted for this particular track. Yeah, that, that was his, his comments as well. But And you also mentioned coming off of that Smurfs track. This is a good track to follow up with as well because it does a lot of similar things.
1: It does. Uh, it, it has that element of darkness. Again, it's not as long as the Smurfs track, but it does have a couple of different parts that are that are utilized nicely and that kind of layer over each other. Um, there was actually apparently a Lucky Luke uh, animated show from Hanna-Barbera back in the 80s, but that I believe is the only thing that has actually come out here in the States. In Europe, though, it's it's a pretty big deal. There's been... There have been lots of comics, lots of syndicated uh, publications, a few different um, animated shows. In Italy, there was a live action show and two live action movies. Um, So it's really a big deal over there, which is interesting because Lucky Luke is an American cowboy, like it's based in the American West. So that's interesting to me. I wonder if Sev is familiar with Lucky Luke. I'll have to ask him. Yeah, I wonder if he's, you know, been maybe exposed to more of these than, than maybe we have. Cause I think my first wonder one... if he
0: ever dressed up as lucky Luke for Halloween as a kid,
1: <laughs> that would be cool. Man. If he had the pictures, that would, <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's so stupid. Um,
0: our, our, our British wing of RPG era seven viz. <laughs> yep. go check out the fans are way too noisy I think fans they're coming back soon noisy. they took a little yeah, bit of a say. they're doing a, a seasonal thing kind of like you and Shoot Capel did with very good music they took a few weeks off and they're getting ready to come back I believe so cool, cool Um, fun track I really like this yep that was a nice block dude really enjoyed it my only block my only block today but that's okay because we still got a lot of amazing things coming up
1: yep well let's go ahead and get into it um so my first block of tracks. We'll go ahead and do this. When we come back, I'll talk about a few of a uh, few of Alberto's favorite things that he's mentioned in different interviews. We're going to listen to a little bit of a lesser-known track. This is the title screen from Hugo 2, released in 1997, composed once again by Alberto Jose Gonzalez. We're going to take a listen to The Castle from Melchior's Mansion, released January 31st, 2022, and once again composed by Alberto José González. Closing out this block, we're actually going to be taking a listen to the full soundtrack from The Morning Adventure, Mananitos Balikau, released in 2003, composed by Alberto Jose Gonzalez. We're actually going to be listening to three relatively short tracks in order, the title screen, stage theme, and final boss. Coming back in, we are talking about the title screen from Hugo 2. What did you think about this one, man?
0: So I had mentioned there were several that I had not heard of before we actually like put this episode together. And this is one of them. And this is a pleasant find and a pleasant surprise to hear. Because this is super joyful dude i really like this a lot
1: it's super nice man and if you look at the uh the title screen that you can see on the on the youtube video the youtube thumbnail it's this really like bright-eyed friendly looking little troll guy giving you a thumbs up um and just it, yeah. the music really really fits that that theme
0: this little one overall no
1: yep <laughs> And I had I I'd never heard of this one either. Um, I actually had heard of most of these properties just in previous Alberto deep dives, but I had never heard of um, never heard of Hugo or Hugo two. And I wondered if this was one of those situations where, what about Hugo one? I'd never heard you know because I'd never heard of it. Apparently, there was a Hugo one, <laughs> not related to infogrames or any of that stuff. Um, but. Uh, Hugo, Hugo, or Hugo the Troll, is apparently popular property, I think specifically in Germany, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but Hugo is apparently a call-in TV series for kids. Um, and the kids call into this TV show and they're like mini games that they can do over the phone or something like that. It's a little bit, I'm getting this from Moby Games, so I'm not 100% sure what's going on here, huh. but Hugo 2 has five levels that are directly based on the mini games from the TV show. And uh, you're just trying to go through and collect as many as much money as possible before you get to the end of the level so you can move on to the next level. Um, funny little side note, there was an enhanced version that was released in 1999 for the Game Boy Color uh, called Hugo Two and a Half. (laughs) 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 That had an additional minigame. Also want to mention that Hugo's wife's name is Hugolina. Hugolina, of course it is.
0: I wonder, like, has there ever been a show here in America with that same concept where kids or anybody could call in? Now, like, I know there's been, like, Shows geared towards kids that they like participated in, like right, like wearing the roles of Carmen San Diego yeah, like, or um, Nick Arcade stuff. like Yeah, that. like you know, like the what was the Legend of the Hidden Temple, right? Like that kind of stuff. But I don't think there's oh, ever been yeah, like a call-in guts. show. Yeah, guts. Do you have it? Do 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 you have it? Guts.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. That's a cool concept though, and like you said, this is just a really happy, bouncy track. And, you know, after the coming off the spookiness of that last block, this was a nice little uh, nice little change of pace, I guess. <laughs> a brief change of pace. A Brief change. Yes. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit brief, because uh, as you mentioned while we were listening, this this next track, it's got some real nice spookiness going on in it. <laughs> it does, man. It does. Now, the only thing
0: before we mention that next track, did you want to read what he wrote about Hugo, Two? Ah, yes,
1: very good. Thank you for keeping me on track. Uh, so Alberto's notes about Hugo too, uh cool as well. I remember I did a MIDI version at the time with my trusty old Korg X5DR sound module. I must have it somewhere. And I wonder if he was going to be for it. his MIDI version. Yeah, I wonder if he ever us. found it. Um, I wonder if he found it. <laughs> but you know what, Alberto? Maybe if, uh, if you do find it, you should uh, post it up on Twitter and link to our episode so that our listeners can can go and listen to that uh, that Korg, that, the MIDI version of this track. Throw it on your SoundCloud. This sound is a really cool cloud. track. Yeah, throw it up on that SoundCloud. Definitely encourage folks to go check out there, He's actually got a couple of different channels um, One is focused more on his spectrum music and the other one is focused on on uh, the rest of what he did But there, there's a lot of really really cool stuff there um, This next track though comes from his band camp. This is actually The most recent game. I believe that he has composed for uh, This is a game called Melchior's Mansion And it looks like it is PC, like web-based game, maybe. Um, We listened to the castle theme, and I had heard that both this theme and the attic track were were really nice. He actually, he said that the castle was a good choice, and that even he's not sure if he likes this or the attic track more. Um, I encourage everybody to go and check out this soundtrack on Bandcamp. It's also up for pay what you like, so you can get the whole soundtrack for free if you want. But I do encourage you, this guy's given us so much music over the years. Toss him a couple of bucks, you know. It's This music is well, well worth your money and your time. What did you think of this track, Brian? I really fell
0: in love with this. This is something that I had not heard of prior to this episode, right? Like, a lot of this stuff I hadn't heard of. But I didn't know that there was because I when we were talking about like when these games came out, I was like, "Did this actually come out like this year?" Because I wasn't sure. Like because it is done in that older style, right? It's meant to look kind of like a, a ZX Spectrum game to an extent. And I really, really love the sound of this. It definitely has the spooky vibes going on again. Like the block that I played earlier. And this
1: game, like just looking into it, it looks really freaking cool, dude. A nice throwback game. Yeah, it really, really does look cool. And and he's composed a couple of kind of retro throwback soundtracks like this, which we'll talk about later on in the interview. But this one, he he talks about it in the interview as well. But basically, the, the creator of the game wanted kind of a Game Boy sound. So essentially, for the most part, he did a Game Boy sound, but with a few extra channels. But for the main theme of the game, it's straight, like, Game Boy uh, restrictions. Like, it's, it, it could be played on, on a Game Boy. And what I thought was really cool about this one is when, when you look at, like, the Messenger score by Rainbow Dragon Eyes, or especially the Shovel Knight scores by Jay Kaufman, this is what they sound like. And oh, absolutely. that music is, you know, definitely, obviously, spiritual successor to a lot of this early chip work. But to hear one of the masters coming back after so long and doing a brand new soundtrack again like this and to have it sound like, you know, like those other things that his music was probably a big inspiration for and his contemporaries music was a big inspiration for it. It really shows that, I mean, he still got the chops um, even after not doing it as regularly for so long. But it also shows that these other guys really do know what they're doing and that their work sounds like what music composed by the masters would be if they were still composing today. That was a long and convoluted way of saying that, but hopefully it made sense. (laughs) (laughs) No, it made sense to me. And I just (laughs) I, I fell in love
0: with this track, like probably one of my my favorite new things that I discovered by putting this episode together I really like this, and it actually appears, and I'm going to send you a link to this, it appears that the developer behind this game, Richard Jordan, uh, who did Melchior's Mansion, is currently working on a spin off game to this series, if you want to call it that now. It doesn't have a title yet or anything, but
1: it looks like it's going in a completely different direction. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Um, a little bit of a shooter element. Y- you mentioned that this uh, this track does does definitely have a spooky vibe. Um, it, it will not be the last one. Um, it does. There's, a, I mean,
0: it makes sense. There's
1: a couple of other ones, but yeah, it does. I mean, this this seems like a haunted house kind of kind of motif. What's going on here? I really love that laugh sound. It's almost like something out of Chrono Trigger. Yes. Did you notice? Did you notice a little laugh? Absolutely.
0: Sound? I did. There's, there's a lot of thing, well, probably not a lot, but there are definitely a couple of those like things that are just meant to be kind of tucked in the background that you can pick up
1: in this track, which is really, really cool to hear. Very cool stuff, very cool stuff. So this track, I actually subbed in for the 1010 track that I had, Area 4-1. And um, the next game <laughs> that we're, we're playing the music from is the one that I replaced the Inspector Gadget Racing track with. Um, as I mentioned before, I had originally chosen The River from Inspector Gadget, rating, Gadget Racing, but then um, Alberto mentioned that that was his least favorite soundtrack from his time on the GBA, and he actually recommended <laughs> another game that he had composed for the GBA. Now, we're talking about The Morning Adventure, and as you heard, there were actually three little shorter tracks mixed in here, so I cheated a little bit. Brian gave me most of the episode, and then I used one of my tracks to play three tracks, so... <laughs> but, I think they were all pretty good. So we listened to the title screen, the stage music, and then my favorite, the final boss music from a promotional game called The Morning Adventure. And, uh, or The Morning Adventure, um, Mananitos Cow, which I was looking at the YouTube comments to give myself a little bit of a clarity on what this is. Um, it's so if you look at the cover page, there's this. This teenage kid or preteen kid, um, blue jeans, a red shirts, um, red hats, and he's riding a skateboard and he's holding this what looks like some kind of roll, like a like a raisin roll or something in his hand. Um, this thing that he's holding is a Mananitos Bali Cow, which is kind of like 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 a hostess muffin or a little Debbie muffin or something like that. Mananitos, I believe, is the company and the Bali Cow is what they have branded this. It's like a chocolate chip muffin um and this was apparently a promotional game that you could win if you uh bought a special package of Mononito's Bully Cow and there were only 3000 copies ever made of this game which is pretty crazy <laughs> yeah so and some of the, honestly some of the best sounding Game Boy Advance music that I have heard um Even Gonzalez uh, mentions that the Game Boy Advance was not his favorite (laughs) system to compose on. A lot of composers have said that just because of the way that it was weird for a little system that had the capability of an SNES. The SNES, you could actually have, you had designated space for your sound, but on the GBA, the space was all shared and you didn't have as much space specifically for the sound. So a lot of it was ultra compressed and just kind of crammed in and it just didn't sound that great. Um, but this sounds really nice and clean. And I wonder if that's because he uh, he did mention in his comment for this track, said a promotional game we did, which is not very well known. I was a lot into house music back in the day and this one shows it. The entire soundtrack is in my SoundCloud, recorded from the program I coded to compose music for the GBA instead of using the original hardware. So I wonder if this is something like an uncompressed version specifically made from the program that he used to compose the music. It might
0: be, an And that's honesty. why it sounds so much better. Yeah, it might be. And I definitely get the house influence here, especially with the the middle track of the three, right? Uh, there, there's definitely some some big house in there, but I also really like the the island vibe that this soundtrack
1: brings too. I really like that a lot. Yeah, the the title track has a really nice, bright, cheery, like you said, island vibe. And then yeah, the stage theme is slower, more subdued. Well, subdued may not be the right word for it, but it's it's lower lower key. It's not really like a bright, happy. It's more not really. I, I guess it's closer to ambient. Um, the drums, the percussion in that middle part sounds straight out of Streets of Rage.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like there's definitely some you, you can tell they're friends, right? You, there's some
1: Kushiro in this soundtrack <laughs> or this particular piece. Yeah, you can tell there's some influence in, in this stage theme, but um, but but really cool. But then again, my favorite is the third part, which is the, the boss music. I thought that the final boss uh, theme here was really, really cool and um you know this is you know a shorts uh kind of one-off little game reminds me a little bit of that cat girl without salad soundtrack i was talking about on last episode oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh-huh. and a nice uh, nice variety of of songs coming from this one as well
0: and i like that you know we were able to play the entire soundtrack because it is just like you know a little over five and a half minutes long not not too uh lengthy for for a game soundtrack yeah, man, just we fit play it all in
1: individual tracks that are <laughs> fit it all in to renette yep not even not even half the length of One Week in Angel. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Or uh, One Week in Angel is probably not that long. I'm just <laughs> misremembering it. I'm just thinking of <laughs> 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 But <laughs> Yeah, so that is it for my first block of tracks. Uh, I did mention that I was going to talk a little bit about some of Gonzalez's favorites that he has... Um, that he has mentioned yeah do it so a couple of his favorite things so some of his favorite soundtracks that he has composed he says he's especially fond of the smurfs for Game Boy and asterix for nes not only because they are two of his best soundtracks he thinks but also because they were the last games that he drew the sprites for Um, he also really loved working on asterix and obelix for the snes because it was completely different uh, than doing it all with square waves and noise Um, He really loved the SNES sound chip and his one regret from that time period was that he didn't get to do it again Because he feels like your first outing on a new sound chip You're never gonna really be able to bring out its best because you're still learning the ropes That would be really cool if he were able to go back like retroactively and compose something new with SNES Hardware or with Genesis hardware because he never got to do that um He specifically said that NES Asterix is one of the best experiences that he had in his career. Uh, He also mentioned the Smurfs' Nightmare as one of his favorites. And this game is also a fan favorite. Like this soundtrack is one of his most lauded soundtracks. The Smurfs' Nightmare is really great front to back. Um, He was inspired a lot by how beautiful the game was. Uh, After a while, he received uh, a a new version of the game and was able to check the atmosphere on a regular basis. And he said he he really appreciated that a lot because uh, when he's composing, he tries to compose based on the feel of the area that he's composing for. He said it's a lot easier when you can focus your inspiration on what you feel. And he also received a lot of excellent comments from the developers while working on that soundtrack. So. Nice kind of team effort, team atmosphere contributed to what may be overall pound for pound his best soundtrack, The Smurfs Nightmare. Uh, his favorite consoles to compose for, again, the SNES sound He says it was, quote, amazing, a true masterpiece, uh, the SNES sound chip. Um, already mentioned his comment on the NES and uh, that he took um, inspiration from Solstice at that time Um, he said more so the sound driver on Solstice not so much from the music itself Um, when he uh, had to make his first composition for the NES he listened to the music of many other games um, in order to find you know like his voice or his approach and solstice was he said he said was a game that served him well he really loved the sound of the drums and it was from there that he created his own rhythmic routines um, i also want to mention somebody made a really good comment on that uh, the morning adventure track that we just listened to the title theme especially he said you he could hear a lot of pluck influence in that uh, Tim fallin's pluck soundtrack and i can hear that for sure
0: oh definitely you can definitely hear that
1: yeah Uh, He said he he didn't like working on the GBA, very low quality and noisy. And the sound uses a lot of CPU. Uh, He was asked on, I believe I pulled this from the um, legacy music hour interview. He was asked about some of his favorite games. And he said, there are just so many. (laughs) If he had to cite a few Contra, Final Fantasy, Fantasy Star, Batman, Metroid, Axelay, Gradius, Street Fighter 2, Wonder Boy, Super Mario, Sonic, And he said that Shadow Dancer, for the Genesis, is to him the perfect action game. And I may not actually be, I don't think I'm actually that familiar with Shadow Dancer. So I might have to go check out some some footage from that.
0: Yeah, that one doesn't ring a bell to me either. Shadow Dancer, I was actually looking it up as you were were talking. (laughs)
1: Uh, And his favorite game soundtracks from his memory are Plock. Uh, Spider-Man and the X-Men for the SNES, Super Turrican, uh, Turrican rather, uh, I believe that's all Tim Fallen, then Actraiser, of course, on Koshiro, uh, Castlevania IV, Chrono Trigger, Demon's Crest, Streets of Rage, Revenge of Shinobi, more Koshiro. <laughs> Um, Wonder Boy and Monster World Robocop for the Game Boy from Ocean, Jonathan Dunn soundtrack really, really good stuff Castlevania 2 for the Game Boy Final Fantasy Legend 1 and 2 for the Game Boy Batman for the Game Boy and once again, Solstice Shadow Dancer is part of the Shinobi series Oh, interesting
0: It is the second game in the Shinobi series right before The Revenge of Shinobi. Okay,
1: that actually does ring a bell. I
0: remember some of that. And then there's also on the Genesis a game
1: called right after The Revenge of Shinobi, Shadow Dancer, The Secret of Shinobi. Okay, I remember somebody on some podcast talking about how confusing that got on the Genesis Shinobi games. Oh yeah, so the the, the lineup
0: (laughs) goes Shinobi, Shadow Dancer, The Revenge of Shinobi, Shadow Dancer, The Secret of Shinobi, The Cyber Shinobi, and then back to just Shinobi, Shinobi 2, Shinobi 3, Return of the Ninja Master, and then it just keeps going from there.
1: And I guess while, um, while I'm listing some things, I'll go ahead and talk about some of his, uh, his musical influences that he has shouted out in some of his interviews. Um, he said once again that much of his musical training actually stems from listening to gay musicians such as David Whitaker, Jonathan Dunn, Ben Daglish, and Matthew Cannon. Uh, and those four specifically he mentioned on multiple interviews um, in the Spectrum's heyday among many others. When he started composing for Game Boy he was very inspired by the work of Nobuo Uematsu in the Final Fantasy series. Uh, he said many of the epic songs he's made for the Game Boy have had their roots in Uematsu's work. Uh, later he was inspired by composers for a 16-bit era like Chris Hulesback, Yusou Koshiro, and Koji Kondo. Uh, they have all influenced his work in one way or another and he took them as references for certain kinds of game music. Um, Plus, always been a big fan of Tim Fallon and his brother Jeff. Since the days of the Spectrum, he's done incredible things technically and musically, and his au revoir, um Alberto's word, has always been a source of inspiration for, for him, for Gonzalez. Uh, he listened to every game soundtrack that he could under scrutiny while he was first getting into composition, trying to decipher every technique uh, on his way to learning how to compose. Uh, he even programmed an emulator of the Game Boy CPU and sound chip so that he could listen to the soundtracks he ripped from games without actually playing them. That is the hardware I think he used in actually getting these songs ready for us for this very episode. Uh, he said this was much before that first GBS player appeared, and he still uses it to record the soundtracks that he has uploaded to his SoundCloud. So, kind of coming full circle on that, how he provided us this music. Perfect. Super cool. I like it. All right. Well, there's a, another wall of text I've delivered to everybody, like you said. Here's <laughs> the color commentary cuz I'm talking more than enough for both of us. That's okay. <laughs>
0: if I if I talked more, this this episode would be like 3 hours long. So, I'm just letting you take the <laughs> take the helm, right? You've got the reins. You're driving Santa's Sleigh today, delivering gifts
1: to all the little boys and girls out there. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Can't really think of anything to say to that. That's <laughs> that's cool. um, speaking of Santa, um, Sorry, I just gonna... I just say <laughs> things. You know that. <laughs> Speaking of Santa, Christmas is the uh, next big holiday after Thanksgiving and Halloween. And uh, speaking of Halloween, we've had some creepy tracks on tonight. And this next one is actually one of the main reasons I included it is that originally we didn't have as many creepy tunes. At least I didn't on my list. But this comes from Sylvester and Tweety Breakfast on the Run. We're going to be listening to track four. This game was released in 1998 and once again was composed by Alberto Jose Gonzalez. Thank you. Next up, we're going to listen to Olympia from Asterix and Obelix, released 1995, composed by Alberto José González. In this block, we're going to listen to Boss Cyanidia from Spiro, released September 20th, 1995, and once again composed by Alberto Jose Gonzalez. talking about track 4 from Sylvester and Tweety Breakfast on the Run. Alberto says, uh, "This is not a very well-known game, but he enjoyed composing the soundtrack at the time. What did you think of this track?" Well,
0: you know I love my spookiness. I love my Halloween <laughs> vibes, and this is probably the most it's not a word, but Halloweeny, right, of any of the tracks that we are playing today <laughs> on the show. Uh, has, I don't know what the word, but it's, it's what popped into my head. <laughs> yeah, it definitely has, you know, some of those like cartoonish, obviously it's a Looney Tunes property, but that cartoonish, uh, like haunted house feels, which I just freaking love. This is a really cool track. I'm glad you brought this one.
1: Yeah, like I said, when I, I first had my list, I didn't have Melchior's Mansion on there. And so this was like my, my slower, spookier track. I went back and forth on. Um, what are, I was going to include this a couple of times, but I'm really glad I kept it in. Like you said, it's got, a, got that nice, fun, spooky feel to it. And, Everybody's already um, ready for Halloween, man. You look on social media;
0: they're talking about when you know fall needs to hurry up and get here. People are already decorating for Halloween on Twitch streams. Like everyone's just waiting. It's it's the it's the thing right now. It's what
1: happens when August ends and September hits. For Sure. <laughs> and you could just picture Sylvester like sneaking up on Tweety as this song plays. It's it's a very evocative soundtrack. I think.
0: It is. It does a good job portraying what's. Again no idea what's happening in the game, but for this particular stage, I would not be shocked if that's what was happening
1: and I think the the part that goes like it's got it's got just it's a really really understated but nicely put together track like it sounds like the super simple like you said cartoonish thing. But it's it's very, again, sophisticated and well put together. Reminds me a lot of some of those older, like,
0: Bugs Bunny cartoons, like the one where he's sneaking into the witch's castle and stuff. Like, it reminds me a lot of that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it, could, it definitely could fit in in those old Bugs Bunny and even the old Disney cartoons. Just It's really, really nice stuff. Absolutely. And then next, we get into our only Super NES track on the playlist. And again, from the only game that Alberto composed for the Super NES. This is Olympia from Asterix and Obelix. Now, originally, I had a track called The Lake, which it's it's nice. It's uh, got a, a slow, subdued, um, pretty feel to it. I, I included it originally because of that. It was one of the slower, more, I guess, more thoughtful tracks. But honestly, I did feel a little bit unsatisfied. I was like, I know he's got better music out there, but I really want to showcase some different stuff. And and this is what stands out to me as far as being unique style-wise. And Alberto's response was (laughs) edifying for my kind of misgivings on this track. He says, I'm surprised that there are people out there who like this track. (laughs) It sounds so unfinished to me. And indeed, I ran out of inspiration and left the track very short and with an abrupt ending. I'm happier with the version I did for the GBA port. Many years later, I think there are more impressive tracks in this OST. Uh, it's fully posted in my SoundCloud. So I went to his SoundCloud. Sure enough, he does have it there in part one and part two. Uh, the Asterix and Obelix theme song or um, uh, soundtrack, and Olympia and a couple of other ones jumped out at me. But this one I just kept coming back to. I really like how the time signature changes. Yeah, and I think it's a really nice, really clean utilization of the SNES sound chip you know what this reminds me a lot of
0: is a link to the past oh yeah
1: yeah i definitely could hear some koji kondo influence in here
0: it's absolutely there like some of like the the hyrule castle themes and that kind of stuff that you hear did that you heard i can't talk it's almost oh, yeah. a night that you heard <laughs> and, 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 and yeah absolutely yeah
1: yeah it's there for sure man yeah that's that's cool and um i like i told you i like how it goes from the the slower like four four big impressive fanfare to that six eight kind of faster paced um different melody and how he went back and forth between those and really showcased a couple of different things it's again very evocative um and what i like about it you can again you can hear a lot of stuff going on in the background Um, I'm starting to think maybe one of the reasons that I like both Alberto Gonzalez and uh, Jay Kaufman is because no matter what type of song it is they're doing, they're always making the absolute most of the space that they have. Like their songs are so full without sounding busy, which is really impressive to me. It's all those layers, man, that we keep coming back to. Mm -hmm. And to be able to do that with so many restrictions on the sound is really impressive. Absolutely.
0: Great pick. I'm glad you subbed that. I'm glad you subbed it out with this one. I think this is a much better choice.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. But speaking of impressive, another soundtrack I was really pleasantly surprised by. Uh, this is our only Sega entry on the list, I believe. Let me double check. Yeah, um, he didn't compose a lot for Sega systems, and he never got to touch the Mega Drive, which he talks about later. But this track is from an unreleased port of Spiro which originally came out in 1995 for the Mega Drive, was later ported to some other systems. It was supposed to be ported to the Master System or the Game Gear, possibly both. I've seen it online listed as both. But that version of the game never came to fruition. It was mostly finished, the soundtrack was completely finished, and a prototype has actually been leaked online, but the game was never actually released. Um, Spiro is a... Um, that's either Spiro or Spiru. Um, S P I R O U is the way it's spelled. Uh, he is a boy adventurer. I think something along the lines of like 1010. Um, a little bit different, though. Again, really big in Europe. Not so much over here. Uh, but this is the boss Cyanidia or Cyanidia track. I was so impressed that this came out of a
0: Game Gear. Yeah, this is mind blowing, dude. I'm not a huge fan of the Game Gear. <laughs> This
1: is mind-blowing. Like, there are some good compositions on the Master System in Game Gear. I think of, like, Koshiro's soundtrack for Sonic, um, because he did the uh, the Master System version of that. Um, But there's not that much. I'm not as impressed. I even told him uh, in our back-and-forth, I wasn't as impressed with um, the Game Gear uh, sound chip as I was with other systems from this time. And I was really, really impressed with this one. I had some tracks from the Game Boy version of Spiro on my short list, but I, I eventually kept this one not just because it was a chance to showcase another system of his but just because it's so damn cool. Like, this track is fire. <laughs> it really is. It, it reminds me a lot of
0: the the Metal Beat track that we're not playing on the show today, right? Like, and just how oh, impressive it yeah. actually is. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Like, it's just... It's... The, the sense of rhythm that you get from all of these games is really impressive. I kind of wonder... Um, so Gonzalez, is, Gonzalez comes from a military family, I already mentioned that his grandfather and father were in the military, he actually also served in the Spanish military, and I wonder if some of that influenced his like sense of, sense of rhythm, uh, even though he actually started in video games before he joined the military, if my timing is right, but he was in the military concurrently with some of the stuff that he was doing here. And so I wonder if some of that influenced his rhythm, because he really, really has a strong sense of beat to all of his music.
0: Right. It would make sense. It would it would make a ton of sense.
1: I wish I thought to ask him that maybe for part two, part two (laughs) coming soon. Prep for it. Uh, But real quick, before we get into uh, the 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 really special part of the show, uh, our interview with Alberto, uh, he had to say this about the uh, boss cyanidea track. A cool track as well. I particularly liked how this track ended up sounding on the Game Gear, and it was composed exclusively for it. Which is also Uh, really cool. Sometimes he would port things over wholesale from from other systems, although he would still have to tweak it uh, to get it to sound just right. He actually has a really great story, if you can find it online, about uh, adapting the Asterix Game Boy music for the NES, for the songs that stayed the same, because even that was a chore but he did compose some tracks specifically for this because he likes to make the most out of each sound chip, and so it is cool. I didn't even know when I picked it that this was specifically composed for the Game Gear. I like that,
0: too. I mean, it's, you know, obviously a a, a freaking epic piece of music, but also exclusive to the Game Gear, and it sounds so dang good.
1: Really does. Really does. Freaking cool, man.
0: All right, man. Well, how are we going to do this? What do you want to do? All right. So it is text-based, but I still wanted to include this in the episode. So I think what we've decided to do, you and I kind of talked about this a little bit, and what we've decided to do is we're we're going to kick to our interview now. It's seven freaking pages long of questions and answers that we did with Alberto Jose Gonzalez over the last month. You are going to be playing the role of Alberto. So (laughs) you are going to... Read the responses that he sent to us and I will pose the questions now and I believe that you also said that you're going to be publishing the text of the interview on the website right yes you will be able to find it on RPGera.com it will be up as a standalone editorial interview Um, after this episode drops you'll be able to and I'll link to it in the show notes you'll be able to uh, head on over to our website and you will be able to read this to its completion as well because I know you know you, you might not remember everything that is said during an episode but
1: also there will also be a few links in yes the there, text are, there are so some people of the things check that out get online. referenced
0: yeah some of the things that get referenced will be linked in the actual interview. And I just want it to exist on its own as well, because I think this is so cool. Like, I want it to exist outside of this episode, too. So, putting it on our website, where, you know, we do editorials or infrequently, but reviews often, um, I think this will this will be really cool to have up there. So... Um, most of these questions, there are some that I posed, right? We did go back and forth there for a little bit, but then you kind of, again, took the reins and posed a lot of the questions in the middle portion of this interview. So a lot of this is from you. Some of it is from me. I don't think I'm going to differentiate who posed what question. I don't think that really matters at this point. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, so we'll just go ahead and kick to this. Again, I'll pose the questions. Bedroth, you will, uh, for the next However long this takes, you will be playing the role of Alberto Jose Gonzalez.
1: Are you okay with that? I'm. I'm ready. Let's do this. Think you could pump out uh, as good of compositions? <laughs> Definitely not. I also <laughs> couldn't could not muster anywhere near a passable Spanish accent, and it might be. Oh, you try. If I try, am so just going yeah. <laughs> to. Nope, not going to do that. I'm not going to ruin the episode by doing that. So. <laughs> I respect that. I respect it. Okay. 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 All right. Well, here we go. Uh,
0: well, before we get started, I, I will say that you and I did introduce ourselves, right, to Alberto Jose Gonzalez. Oh yes. And that's not part of this interview, but we did kind of exchange some pleasantries and you know just some history of of who we are and 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 why we got into this scene and, and where our backgrounds came from and our love for video game music and his type of music. So. We did right. do that. And,
1: and at the end, we, we I think we did very graciously thank him for everything that he did. That also is not part of the interview. This is kind of, uh, it, it is, uh, it has been edited. Yes. But, but his, his responses are intact with just a couple of minor tweaks for like a word that got, might have gotten dropped in the email or something like that. Correct, correct, correct. Okay, okay, let's do this then. I'll switch things up a bit and start by
0: asking, what are you up to these days? I understand you're working more in production now than in composing or graphic design,
1: but is there anything in particular that you're working on that you'd like to share with our audience? I tend to fill the gaps in my company, and the kind of work I do at each moment depends on the needs. This is what made me start doing music in the first place, since no other person in my first company did it. At BitManagers, I was very much stuck with music, but when I founded Abilide from scratch with three other fellows, there were many jobs to fill and the early mobile devices we worked with didn't have great sound capabilities. So I started doing other things than music, like game coding and design. It wasn't until many years later when we started working again with consoles that I could do sound stuff again properly. Currently, I'm doing the sound design and sound direction for one military camp, but I'm not doing the music this time. I did it previously for Prison Tycoon, RC Club, Mind Keeper, The Lurking Fear, Cubics Paint, uh, Music Verse, Electronic Keyboard, etc. I'm also responsible for the production of the physical editions of our games, like Hyperlight Drifter, Curse Castilla, and Super Hydora, which has just been released. I've also worked on the ports and extensions of these games, adding more features and adapting them to each target device, such as the PS4, Xbox, Switch, iOS, tvOS, whatever. Also I help with marketing, publishing, and other things. For example, right now I'm producing all the stuff we need for our stand at the next Gamescom 2022 event. I also was responsible for the production and publication of Ninja Chowdown for iOS and Android. As you see, I do many things. Who knows what I'll be doing next year. You really do sound quite busy more
0: recently, handling so many different aspects of the game development process now. That has to be a great feeling for
1: you, instead of just focusing on music compositions daily. It really depends on the day. Sometimes I feel like a fish out of water, and it's difficult to focus on one task when there are others waiting. But in the end, I get the work done, which is what really counts. Since I don't compose much nowadays, doing it is also very challenging for me now. Working with sound chips was really easy. I know them well, and they are very limited, so it's easier to focus just on the melody and leave the rest to my tricks to make them sound nice. However, quote-unquote normal music is much more complex since there are infinite possibilities with the composition, instruments, and mix. Also, depending on the game, the musical styles can be completely different, and that's something that needs to be learned as well. So it's a
0: well-known fact that when you began your time as a composer for video games, you didn't have any formal musical training. Taking this into consideration, what advice might you offer up to someone considering breaking into the scene with a similar passion who wants to try their hand at composing for video games in the future? What about just games in general, or game
1: development in general? With no coding or design experience. I think the only way of learning to do things is by doing them. That's just how the brain works. Sometimes one only needs to find the right tools to unlock the interest. In my case, for the music, it was just a program I learned to use. Anyone interested in doing games or music for games should try to make them, step by step, starting with very little things and then going progressively to more complex projects. This can be done alone or with friends that have similar or complementary interests. The most important thing is to finish the projects. That's what gives the experience and confidence. Once you've done enough works, finished works, you can show them and hope for a job in the industry. Nowadays, it's also possible to study game development, design, coding, production, etc., if you have the money.
0: I've seen in interviews that you started out by just jumping in and exploring the programs that caught your attention. From what I understand, you also built on the work of others who came before you, recreating sprites from other games, and even successfully reverse engineering some work Tim Fallen did on a sound driver for the Specky Beeper which he later told you no one else had been able to do. Would you recommend this approach to other aspiring game creators? Would you have any other tips you've picked up in the
1: years since? When I started doing games, it wasn't even considered a job, at least not for most of the people in my country. With no internet or books about doing games, there was no way to learn other than looking at the work of others and making them your teachers. Also, copying is the best way to learn. Most animals do it every day after being born, We see someone doing something, try to do the same, fail, try again, and improve progressively. Then ultimately, we start doing our own original stuff. Yeah, I strongly encourage studying and trying to replicate the work of your favorite artists, musicians, designers, or programmers, only for the purpose of learning, of course. There are not many more tips I can give. Just work, 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 and
0: do things. Could you think back to a more recent piece of music you composed using newer technology, with
1: more options available, and talk us through some of your process in composing the piece? The last soundtrack I composed was for Prison Tycoon Under New Management. I did the music and all sound effects for the game, but didn't compose many tracks. I would have loved to have more time to compose more music. I don't have a very well-defined process. I just try different ideas until one feels interesting and I can build it into a complete theme. For this game, I wanted to have an acoustic sound without many synth sounds, so I used a guitar as the main instrument for most of the tracks. Since it had different biomes, I tried to make every track suit each one. It took me some time to find the best mood for each biome, and the soundtrack in general, since it's a prison management game, but not completely serious like the previous games from the IP. What kind of programs do you enjoy more than others when it comes to modern composition? How is your approach in creating a song different than it was when you used earlier programs? I have used Cubase since the early days, though I've switched to Nuendo recently. They are very powerful tools and can do anything you want for music or sound design. I also use Wavelab and an awful lot of different plugins. It's completely different from what I used to compose my old console and computer soundtracks. Back then I just coded the music in assembler, which was very laborious but allowed me to take full control of the sound chips. Later I coded my own sequencer to compose music on a ZX Spectrum 128K computer and also a set of tools to translate them to assembler. It was all done by me, and I used these for more than a decade, and in all my old 8-bit console soundtracks. What you said about your approach to Prison Tycoon
0: under new management made me curious. You composed a lot of licensed games based on cartoons and comics. When it comes to properties like the Smurfs, Asterix, and the Adventures
1: of Tintin, how familiar were you with the source material before you worked on those games? I was completely familiar with the characters, and also loved them very much. I've read and watched the original Smurfs since I was a kid, and also have the complete collection of both Asterix and Tintin comics. They are very well known and loved in Europe, and surely the main reason for Infogrames to get the licenses.
0: Other than the theme songs, did any of the music used in other iterations of the properties influence your approach to designing the sound? Or were you more focused on capturing the mood of each level
1: individually? At that time, I had complete freedom to compose whatever I wished. I rarely got any feedback about my music. I suppose that either it was good enough, or nobody really cared. <laughs> Nowadays, you can just Google or search in YouTube for references, but that didn't exist at the time. So with very few exceptions, all the tracks were my own compositions. I just tried to compose something that sounded good with the characters and the mood of the stages. Nowadays, I hear them in perspective and think I would have made them completely differently. But I suppose that if the music is still remembered, then it wasn't that bad. You've mentioned several early video game composers like
0: Tim Fallon and Ben Daglish as people whose work you admired and felt was an influence on your own work. How familiar are you with the m- work of modern game composers like T. Lopez, Danny Baranowski, Lena Raine, or Austin Winnery?
1: I'm afraid I don't know many modern game composers like the ones you mentioned, although I'm sure I've listened to music from them without being aware of it. It was easier to remember the names back then when audio was done by just one person, and there weren't as many game releases as nowadays. I'm more aware of new musicians from Spain since I've come in contact with some of them. One new, for me at least, composer I discovered recently is Yasunori Nishiki, who composed the music for Octopath Traveler. I loved the soundtrack when I played the game and searched for the composer immediately. I also bought TMNT Shredder's Revenge recently, but I haven't played it much yet. The music I could hear in my short play was great. Is there any modern
0: game music that you enjoy listening to the way you enjoyed listening to game music when you first started composing?
1: Nowadays, I don't have many chances to listen to game music, except when I play the games. In my work, I can't listen to music because many times I do sound work or I find it distracting for other tasks. I need silence to concentrate when I'm writing, coding, or doing other production tasks. Lately, I'm trying to listen to some old, quote-unquote, normal music before going to bed, just to remember how it was. So you mentioned that you're aware of new Spanish musicians.
0: Do you have any you'd like to recommend our listeners to check out, whether they are game composers or not? You should definitely check Check
1: out the works of Javier Garcia or Grisor 87. He is an awesome composer and also a great friend. Among other things, he did the music for many of Locomalito's games that we have published at Abbey Light, like Cursed Castilla, uh, Super Hydora, or The Curse of Isios. He can make any old sound chip sound great, but also handles any other kind of music awesomely. Regarding some of the licensed properties you've worked on, I
0: have seen some of Tintin, Asterix, and of course the Smurfs, since those have gained some popularity here in the States. But I'm less familiar with others, like Spiro and Lucky Luke. I was particularly impressed with your work on the Spiro soundtrack for the Game Gear, especially since I don't usually enjoy Game Gear Master
1: System soundtracks as much as those from other systems from that time period. Indeed, I did music for many games based on comic or cartoon characters, like Asterix, Smurfs, Lucky Luke, Tintin, Spiro, Otefanten, Turok, Baby Felix, the Mouse, Droopy, Looney Tunes, Inspector Gadgets, and so many. Actually, I didn't know about Otefanten or the Mouse either, possibly because they weren't known here in Spain. I'm surprised that Lucky Luke was not well-known in the U.S. I wish I could have had more time to work on the Game Gear Master System ports of our games. They were done after the Game Boy versions, which had much more development time. Still, I managed to compose some exclusive tracks for these consoles, but I think I could have made the sound chip sound better. That's actually interesting about development times being shorter
0: with the Game Gear Master System releases. That definitely goes to show that more time is never a bad thing in the gaming
1: industry when it comes to quality. We always did the Game Boy versions first, and the other versions were based on them though many times they required lots of changes. Asterix for NES, for example, was very different. All the graphics had to be redone because the original ones were too small for a TV screen. Also, the NES had a completely different CPU, so all the code had to be done again. The soundtrack had many unique tracks, specifically for the NES, since I wanted to make the most out of its sound capabilities instead of just converting the Game Boy tracks. You've worked on so many different
0: gaming platforms, but are there any that you didn't work on that you wish you had, like the Mega Drive
1: or PC Engine? Definitely. I would have loved to work on these two, especially the Mega Drive, and also on the Commodore 64, which I didn't have the chance to taste. Any platform, really. I loved to make the most of each sound chip. Each one is like a completely different instrument and inspires different kinds of sounds and melodies.
0: I was excited to hear new work from you on Sword of Ayana and QB. How did you get involved with those projects?
1: In the case of the Sword of Ayana, there was a retro forum where I and other members of New Frontier talked about the things we did in the old times. It was a really long thread. One person contacted me through that forum to ask if I was interested in doing some music for the game they were doing. The game was looking great and very different from what I used to compose for, so I jumped in. The whole soundtrack is in my ZX SoundCloud, but I plan to upload a slightly improved version to my Bandcamp in the future. For QB, it was programmed by a friend of mine who worked at BitManagers, and he was also one of the original founders of my company. I agreed to make the music for his game to help him. Also, since the ZX Spectrum Next is a new machine, I found it interesting to add it to the list of machines I have composed for. Just before the Sword of Iona, I did a small track for a 48 hour retro game jam for the old Amstrad CPC computer, which was actually the first 8-bit computer track I composed since 1991. This was the result of a dinner after a retro event with too many beers involved. Finally, the last soundtrack I have composed for a game out of Abulite was for Melchior's Mansion. This one was also interesting since the programmer wanted it to have have an 8-bit sound, so I just made it sound like a Game Boy with more channels. The main track, however, is completely faithful to the Game Boy hardware restrictions of three voices plus noise. Are there any tracks you composed for them that you are particularly proud of? I'm especially fond of the first three tracks of The Sword of Iana. For this game, I did music that was completely different in style than what I used to do back in the day. Also, they have all the restrictions since they run on the original hardware. Alberto, thank you so much for spending the majority of the last month exchanging
0: emails with the both of us. It was an absolute pleasure to get to know you more, and I know for a fact our audience is really
1: going to love this. Thanks for the kind comments. All the best. End scene. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. He really did give
0: us a lot, didn't he, dude? He really did, man. Kind of way more than we could have asked for. Like, Absolutely. When we sat down to do this, I mean, no way did I think we were going to get seven pages of an interview, which is just incredible. But some really solid information that, like I said at the beginning of the show, I don't think is really out there in terms of information on his career. So it was a really cool interview to compose.
1: Yeah, I feel really good about what we're adding to the uh, the sort of online collective of Alberto's uh, Alberto information out there. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. One of these days, one of the one of us fans will put together a book about him. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: absolutely, absolutely. So as we closed that interview out, we told him how we format the show, right? And we had an idea that he probably already was familiar because he had listened to the Yuzo Kishiro interview episode. But we laid out the format, right? We do four blocks of three tracks. And we asked him if he would be interested in choosing any three tracks that he had composed throughout his career that he wanted to highlight on the show today. And he did.
1: He did. He said it was really hard to choose them, but he did, in fact, do it. (laughs) Yes, he did, in fact, do it. So... This is going to be really special. Why don't you go ahead and introduce these tracks for us,
0: since uh, you only have uh, the earlier four tracks. I can do that. I can do that. These three tracks are really special because they are what he wanted to showcase, what he wanted to highlight. And in particular, one of these tracks is really special to him. So we'll get to that one here in the middle. But let's go ahead and start this block off of his own submissions for the show by taking a listen to The Gorge of Orlock. From the Sword of Ayana. This released on September 30th, 2017. And of course, it was composed by Alberto Jose Gonzalez. Next, we have "Menu" from Otto's Otto Fontan, Baby Bruno's Nightmare, released in January 1998, composed by Alberto Jose Gonzalez. <laughs> Closing out this block, we'll go ahead and take a listen to Action Theme from Turok Rage Wars. This released in November 1999, composed by Alberto Jose Gonzalez. Coming back in, we are chatting about the Gorge of Orlock from the Sword of Ayana, one of Alberto's own submissions for this particular episode. And I just got to say, man, I just I just want to get this out of the way right now. Before we even talk about any of these, he submitted the best block of the show.
1: <laughs> he really did, dude. <laughs> he really did. <laughs> this was, uh, man, this was fantastic. He out-spookied us. He, he out impressed the Spiro track with me and uh, he, he even out to rocked you man <laughs> this, was, this was
0: everything we asked for and more this was absolutely and you and I purposely did not listen to these three tracks until we listened to them before talking about them just now so you and I went in completely yeah. blind to knowing what these tracks sounded like what they were going to be like no clue and I'm pretty sure our jaws are still on the floor like I don't know how we're actually composing sentences right now because these were just incredible. So, yeah, man, this is this is spooky beyond spooky. I like how much spookiness is in this episode. But those trills, probably my favorite of the
1: track. My god. Ooh, the trills gave me chills. They did. <laughs> they sure did. And he was really excited about this. He uh, he posted on his Facebook shortly after it came out. He said, finally, Sword of Viana game for ZX Spectrum 128 and MSX2 is available for download for free. But don't hesitate to push the, the donate button. Hopefully, there will be physical versions for sale soon, both in cartridge form. It's been a four-year-long project uh, coded by Utopian, uh, his friend Javier Pina, with some awesome art by Pagatani Paco, uh, Francisco Javier Velasco and music from yours truly creating the soundtrack for this game 13 tracks hasn't always been easy but i couldn't be happier with the results being an exploration game instead of making a rhythmic soundtrack i wanted to go for a more atmospheric and mysterious sound far from what i used to do in the old zx spectrum days more than a half life ago i sincerely hope this will bring some joy to your beloved old or next 8-bit machine and i appreciate the love put in it uh, and, man, I'm glad he's so proud of this. He deserves to be. This is a fantastic piece of music.
0: Yeah, we have played one other track from this game in a previous episode that I'm pretty sure you brought, right? Yeah,
1: that was back on our um, Specky episode. Yeah, that's right. the beginning that's right. of this that's year. Right. Yeah. And I actually brought a whole block of Alberto tracks from the Spectrum. You this did. And this game was one of them. I remember that. This is such a cool piece of music, man. It definitely is more
0: atmospheric than we're kind of used to hearing from him, but man, did he nail it. He just absolutely nailed it.
1: Why don't uh, don't you read the uh, comment that he sent for this particular track, since this episode's been so heavy with my voice.
0: Okay, (laughs) I can do that. He said, I like this one because it is very different from what I used to do at the time. It fitted very well into the stage. Also, there's something crazy about composing again for a computer I used to compose for 33 years ago. 33! Three years ago. I am 36.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know, right, man? And he's not that much older than us. No,
0: no, he's not.
1: Let me see, let me see. See if I can find this out. 1972. He's ten years older than I am. Yeah, that's so, it. So he's what? He was forty-nine. He was fifteen 50? or sixteen when he started. It's yeah. So yeah, he he would be. He just turned fifty actually in July. Okay. Happy oh, belated birthday. Happy belated Alberto. birthday. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah. Happy belated birthday. Probably right before we started talking to him.
1: Yeah, probably so. I wonder if that had anything to do with his uh, vacation that he took when when we were talking to him. He was actually traveling from Barcelona to. Uh, Austria and and Hungary and um, visiting a few different places at one point he wrote to us from Budapest which is super cool (laughs) which was cool yeah and so yeah maybe that was like a like a late birthday trip that he took and so that's really really cool yeah maybe but yeah, so he would have been what? That's
0: so he would have 17? been like seventeen when he did this, yeah, yeah, or when he was like on 16, the spectrum, yeah. Man. Not
1: not this, but when not he was this two, one. yeah. But yeah, it's it's so cool though. I'm glad we got to showcase a couple of his more more recent tracks on this episode because man, he is so still got it. <laughs> yeah, it
0: just like I know he's so busy right now, and I know that he is you know focusing less on game compositions and. More on the other aspects of game development, but any time that he has a chance to work on a game, I hope he takes it because he just freaking kills it every on single music. time. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's just. I'm glad he's doing what he loves. Damn impressive. And, uh, hopefully, hopefully he'll he'll love making whatever the next uh, soundtrack is that he makes too. So. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely, absolutely.
1: Now, that middle track, <laughs> man. That freaking middle track. Like, it always sounds like a backhanded compliment to say, this sounds really good for fill in the blank. Let me get it out of the way. This is just a great track. This is so complex, so fantastically composed. But the fact that this was on a Game Boy, what the hell, man? It's insane. (laughs) So we're talking about Menu
0: from Otto's Fonten Baby Bruno's Nightmare. And this is just insane. It's absolutely insane. It, it does so many different things here, right? And, and let me just read his blurb that he wrote to get it out of the way because it's a lot of what I want to mention. So he said, this is a very special one because originally the game was about Pinocchio and the track was composed especially with that character in mind. The game originally had a sort of medieval setting and it was all about adventure. The theme tries to cover all first introducing the character and then going into the adventure with some medieval folk style. It tells a small story and for a menu track, it's a very long one. Also, it's one of my early Game Boy tracks. I think I was 18 or 19 when I composed it. And I want to talk. Good lord, man. First of all, (laughs) 18 or 19 years old and you're pumping this out? I was getting drunk when I was 19 and blacking out and not remembering the next day.
1: (laughs) <laughs> I actually do have a piece of music that I composed when I was 18 or 19. Um, it's, I think it's one of the tracks I played back on my my compositions episode with Shu Um Shoot is 17, mm-hmm. and Shoot has already composed better tracks than I ever did. The fact that Gonzalez did this though at the age of 18 or 19 is just mind-blowing it's it's incredible and it's buried on this obscure so uh, otto's otefanten, um is the brainchild of a german uh, multi-hyphenate he's a comedian actor musician um, his name is otto valkes and his best known trademark are the otefanten or the otifants which are elephant like comic characters that he designed himself it's like an ongoing like comic strip in in germany And this game is based on those. uh, Like he said, originally this was composed for an adaptation of Pinocchio. Um, The fact that this is buried on this obscure game. You and I would have never
0: discovered this to play this for this show without him recommending this. Absolute
1: hidden gem. And I'm so glad that he shared it with us. If you want another um, really cool, really cool thing. Uh, go to YouTube. Look up, look up, Baby Bruno's Nightmare menu theme. Oscilloscope view. The oscilloscope views are where you can like s- actually see the waveforms played across the screen as the sound plays. I actually, I'm gonna go to it after we're done because I gotta find out how he how he made that flute sound.
0: Yeah, you were blown <laughs> away when that flute, flute on this in. track. You were blown away. Oh. You're like, how the
1: hell <laughs> did he do that? <laughs> I mean. So unlike he talked about in one of the interview questions or at one point how the NES has uh, two square waves and a triangle and then a noise channel. And the triangle is what is commonly used for like bass and lower um, harmony type stuff. The Game Boy doesn't have that. The Game Boy has two squares and it has a waveform um, and then it has a noise channel. This is not, that flute is not a square wave sound. I, I'm, I'm almost convinced. I, I'm no super expert in this area, but I'm almost convinced. So it must've been that third channel, but I gotta watch this thing when we're done. Cause I'm super, uh, th- this is my track of the show, man. I'm just, I was blown away by it. In a, tr- in a track, in a show full of great music, I think this is my track of the show. Yeah, for me, it's either this one or the next one
0: we're about to talk about that I think was my track of the, of the episode today. And oh, I know you love this next one. <laughs> I do, I do. And before we talk about that, I just want to say also, I really do love that medieval folk style. Like anytime we get to, yeah. I mean, even, you know, we've, we've done prior themes on this particular show with that topic or theme in mind, right? Like we've done medieval settings and just Renaissancey type stuff. And I just love that sound. But I'm also really surprised that this game initially was to be about Pinocchio, and I'm almost curious how that would have worked if that would have been the final draft of the game. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I almost wonder if it was like a like a Disney's Pinocchio thing, and maybe that just it just fell out, like if it, or, if it, or if it was a more blocked. like traditional Pinocchio. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, but yeah. Fantastic track.
0: Loved it. Me too. And I also loved that last track. Action theme from Turok Rage Wars. Now, I mentioned to you off air that I'll mention now on air. I am not high for this episode. I am not high at all. <laughs> I have not smoked in over a week. And I'm keeping it that way because I need to be clean at the moment. So I'm, I'm completely sober. But man, had I been high... I could already say with confidence this would have been my, like, pick of the show. And I think it is. I think I'm going to go with this as my favorite track from the episode today, because this just has everything that I look for and everything that I
1: love about video game
0: music. This is as close to perfection as you can get, man.
1: It's very very cool, and uh, I, I I don't know which one of us mentioned it first, but it really does sound like a slightly edgier Dean Evans, uh, the guy who composed the uh, SNES soundtracks for Waterworld and uh, that unused um, game uh, Green Lantern game, yeah, and uh, the Flintstones movie adaptation. He's got some really really great atmospheric stuff. This has that, but with a rock edge to it. <laughs> yep, a little bit
0: of uh, not really synth, but I wouldn't be shocked if like if this you know if if, if a kind of like how he said he likes hearing people do renditions of his music with modern instruments, I would not be shocked if somebody added a synth to this
1: and just killed it with that in there because it, it would totally fit. And once again, fantastic use of the Game Boy hardware um, <laughs> like these last two tracks really maybe more than anything else that we played today really show why he is my favorite Game Boy composer and is just such a master of the system. And
0: he actually said that. So what he said about this particular track was, unfortunately, not many of my soundtracks made good use of the stereo capabilities of the Game Boy, but this was one of them. Also, for this game, I coded some new cool effects, like new drums and wave sequencing, that I put into use later in other soundtracks. The whole soundtrack was about experimentation and doing something different.
1: And I love me some experimentation (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if it was this one or another Turok soundtrack it might have been might have been a later one like the one for the game boy advance one of those he mentioned that he was specifically influenced by yuzo koshiro's work when he made it um i wouldn't be surprised if it was this one because it definitely has some of that koshiro you know the rhythm the, the the techno it's not really trance but it's getting into that right um, that zone uh, I, I could hear that for this one so I don't know if this is the one but I wouldn't be surprised I hope koshiro hears this episode I really do
0: I really hope so too I hope he's still listening
1: because <laughs> this <laughs> well, he's another very busy guy he is very <laughs> busy he is very busy but this and, and when you work in sound it's hard to listen to podcasts so. <laughs> As I look at our
0: time on our recording software, we have crossed the two hour and 35 minute mark. So even getting rid of the silence and kind of, you know, condensing here and there as I usually do for these episodes... I'm fairly confident this is finally going to be our longest episode we've done yet to date. <laughs> it has to be. Yep. It has to be. I'm sure. I'm sure. For 250, I'm okay with it. And for an episode that was as jam packed and as special as this one was, couldn't have asked for anything more.
1: Yeah, it's like Christmas came early, man. Um, happy 250th. I thank you for uh, giving me so much to do on this episode. This has been a blast. I've never had more fun preparing for an episode. And Alberto, thank you once again. Just you made this such a special episode for us, and a really, really fitting anniversary episode for for Brian, who's been doing this now for for so long, over five um, years. And really, correct me if I'm wrong, dude. Some of the best music you've ever played on the show. Oh, without question, man. Without <laughs> and and
0: some of the best versions of music we've ever oh, played yeah. on the show, right? Because we have, like we said, actual ripped versions from the programs he used to compose the music. Like we, when we play music on the show, right? Like I try to find the best version that I can, whether it is, if it's only available on YouTube or if Zofar has it or if KH Insider has it or whoever, right? I always try to find the best sounding and authentic version of the track. But this is as authentic as
1: it gets. Absolutely. I want to give a uh, quick shout out to... Another buddy of mine, Ed Wilson from the VG Embassy podcast, uh, he also mentioned Alberto or listed Alberto as one of his masters of BGM, VGM, and uh, today he and I were talking about some other, some other work, and he showed me three, um, three pairs of tracks from three relatively recent games that Alberto composed for that he sent him, that Alberto sent Ed last year. And one or two of these I'm going to send you for our next radio hour, and I think you'll really enjoy them. I almost subbed one of them in for my closeout track, but I decided to keep them. But if all of you out there, if you are really, really enjoyed this and you're looking for more Alberto, it, it will be coming later on next month. <laughs> Perfect. And, and make sure Ed listens to this episode. Absolutely. I will. Yeah. His is one of several channels in Discord I'm going to be posting this on, and I'm really looking forward to the reactions when I say, oh, by the way, Shadow Drop, here's an Alberto Gonzalez interview. (laughs) Because I, I, I hope he realizes how big of a deal he is in the video game fan scene. Like, he is so beloved. And I mean this episode there you go here's why <laughs> yeah this is absolutely why
0: now before we close this out you did talk about that closeout track so what are we gonna close out with we'll be listening to and, and and let's talk about it for a
1: few so this is another one that I, I I'm pretty sure I played a track from this game on our ZX Spectrum episode uh, this is from the light corridor um, and this is space trip. Uh, Alberto mentioned, I may record a version of this one as mono. I don't like my old ZX Spectrum soundtrack sounding in stereo, as they were not meant to sound like this. The ZX Spectrum had no stereo capabilities at all, and the channel separation sounds unnatural. So I wasn't paying close enough attention when we listened to this to tell if uh, it was mono or not. Um, I know it sounded good. It sounded great. It sounded really nice. It sounded great. <laughs> yeah so so look forward to that it's this is a really really fun way to close it out great great music that's again like 30 years old uh this soundtrack came out in 1990 so yeah 32 years old and um i'm I'm glad we're playing it so close to that sort of iona track because you get to hear what today's alberto is doing with with the spectrum sound but also what's you know what is that? Um, again, 18 year old Alberto is doing with uh, with that sound as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's really all I have to say about the track. I have never played any Spectrum games, so I can't say much about like Corridor itself. But this is a yeah space trip and it is a trip. It's great a
0: great track. It's a definite trip, man. It's a great way to close the show out, a fun way to close the show out. Very fitting, and this has just been a blast, like I said earlier. I know you said uh, happy 250th, but same to you. I know you've only been doing this with me for, what, going on nine months now since I think you joined right around the uh, beginning of the year. Yeah, I, I did a few things
1: here and there before
0: then, but I officially joined at the beginning of this year, yeah. And like, I, like I've said many times, and, and I will continue to give you all the credit in the world for, for bringing the spirit of this show back because bg mania it was struggling there for a bit as we kind of bounced around between frank and just me doing it solo and me doing it with jessica when her and i were still together for a bit like the show was definitely in in a rough state there for a bit and when you and i sat down and you know you decided to finally officially join me as a co-host on this show that uh, just everything came back. It all just clicked. You and I have continued to just gel and get better and better as each episode goes on. And I, I'm fully confident, man. Like there's no end in sight for BG Mania. There's no end in sight. I don't want it to end either. Like here's I know to the next
1: 250. Yeah, here's to another <laughs> 250.
0: Even if we don't end up doing the live episode at a Kirby Cafe in Japan, that's okay if we don't. But what, the Mercados are going on 10 years now, or they hit 10 years or some crazy crap like that, right? Like
1: They hit 10 years, they hit 500.
0: Yeah, we're going to do then, it.
1: And then they they slowed down, but we're going to get there too. We're going to get there.
0: And here's the thing. When we hit when we hit 500 and we hit 10 years, I'm not slowing down. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> BG Mania will go until I'm either A, too old to do it anymore, or B, I die.
1: And I probably will die before I get too old to do it anymore. Let's just be honest. <laughs> Oh, hey man I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with you for as long as I can I um, when I when I decided to stop very good music I definitely still needed something to keep me in this and and, and scratch that itch and and this show the show does it every week or two man it's been it's been fantastic I'm glad you're here
0: I'm glad you're here
1: and you'll be here next week
0: too because next week I will we have a a regularly scheduled composer appreciation episode that I think is is uh, You know, it it might not be as crazy as this one was, and it won't be as in depth. It might not. I'm excited though because it's still going to be damn
1: good. It's giving me a chance to dive into a composer that I am not super like. It's weird because I'm familiar with him more so than I am with his work, and so I'm going to get to really enjoy his music for the first time more than I have yeah and I think you're really going to enjoy what you find I know I'm a big
0: fan and I don't want to give it away I never like to give stuff away yep but uh I'm really excited to do this upcoming episode just as much as you and I were both excited to do this episode because it's going to allow for some discoveries I think on on your part I know I've heard a lot of his discography but I think you're going to discover some really cool stuff for the first time so
1: But man Well before you Close us out And I I read that Last line one more time I want to say One more thing About uh, our focus For for this episode Alberto Jose Gonzalez um, He mentioned In one of his interviews That it's really nice To get an email um, From fans Telling him how much They like one of his Soundtracks Uh, Nowadays I'm sure He would include Also a tweet Because he is active On Twitter Uh, He's also a fan Of other game musicians And has been emailing Them with a lot of excitement It's so rewarding To think that someone Feels the same way About his music Uh, From time to time, he checks his music videos on YouTube to read comments, etc., and it's interesting to know what what everyone's favorite song is and why. All that to say, he's going to be called out on our Twitter post for this. Uh, Go find him. Tell him what track you liked. uh, Give him some kudos, because it makes his day, and um, it's just... He's been so generous with his time. He's such a such a good soul, and he, he deserves some of that positive reinforcement, I think.
0: Absolutely. Do it. And I'll reiterate what you said earlier. Alberto, I know you're listening, so thank you so much for actually making this 250th episode as special as it was. Couldn't have asked for anything more. Like I said before, this was this was perfect. So, man, it's been lengthy, but I think <laughs> it's time to get on out of here. Unless you have anything else you want to mention before we do.
1: Nope, already uh, dropped my only other release uh, at the beginning of the episode, so got that out of the way. All right. Take us home, man. Well, that
0: is unfortunately going to bring us to the close of the show for this week. We do want to thank you for staying with us and listening to another episode of BG Mania, made possible, of course, by RPGera.com, where, when this episode posts, you will be able to go there and see the full text version of the interview we conducted with Alberto Jose Gonzalez, as well as some new reviews that are going up, like Sev, who we mentioned earlier, just dropped a review for Midnight Fight Express over on our website, so go check that out. If you like video game music and more importantly you like us and you want to help us grow this show, check the description box for ways you can do just that, including a link to join our Discord community. Click it, join it and interact with us. Bedroth, what are we closing out with?
1: Taking us out of the show, we're going to be listening to Space Trip from The Light Corridor, released in 1990 and composed by the man Joe McAlby himself, Alberto Jose Gonzalez. Keep the music playing and keep it loud.